Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Some of the things that we've been talking about lately, um, I pray that a light bulb goes off today, that um, it all just kind of comes together. And when I say that is, I told you over the last few weeks, I've just had different dreams and visions at night. And, um, there's even been times in my dreams where um, I don't, I can't see the person's face, um, but they got the Bible out teaching me, like face to face, and saying, and then taking a passage and breaking it apart. Um, it's just been really good, and. Um, just this week, it was just like a culmination of a bunch of things in my dream where there was like a bunch of information like hitting me all at once and all like gelling together at one time. And so I'm praying that that's what happens this morning, um, that you just kind of see this and it all just kind of awakens light on the inside of you um, as we are called to be the light of the world, that um, we are not called to just sit back and do nothing, you know. Um, we are the light of the world. Like he has placed himself in us. He is the light, and so he's in us, and now we are the light of the world. Um, and so when we talk about rest, and we talk about last week, we talked about surrender, and we talked about yielding. And what does that look like? It's not just, I want you to get in your head. It's not just so he could say, hey, I need you to be obedient because I just need you to do what's right. It's not about just doing what's right. Remember what we say a lot of times, it's not about um, being right, it's about being in right relationship. And, um, and so today, we want to just kind of bring some of that together. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, um, we've been looking at this passage, just want to remind us, So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true, for we have a magnificent King, Priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us. As I said, I love that phrase, with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. So, when? Now. We draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. We have this magnificent king priest who has gone ahead of us to do what? To now engage with us in humanity and in all life's humanity, right? In all its frailty, the word says there. That means in all our weaknesses and all our pains and all our struggles and all our times that we think that we are alone, we are not. And all the times that we think we, um, we have to give up Right? In that testimony we just heard, people want to give up in that situation, right? To say, it's just one thing after another, and, and, and there's an urgency there. But in that place of rest comes salvation. Sozo, rest for the weary, because he engages with us. I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and then we're just going to walk through this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind, what? In his, what? Own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he created them in his image. So here's the question I'm going to throw out there to you today. 
And this is what we're going to do is unpack that from this question. So here's the question. What if we contain the godlike characteristics, but we do not operate in them until we lay it down? What if we're created in his own image, right? What if we've been given these godlike characteristics in his image, but they don't actually show up. We don't actually operate in them until we lay it down. What does that look like? So let's unpack that. Let's go over two chapters to chapter three. Genesis chapter three, look at verse one, just a reminder of the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, the any of the wild animals God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And as we're going through some of this today, you're just going to hopefully go back to that wilderness and, and think about all the things that we've talked about up to this point. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for them. So what does God do? He sets them in the garden, right? Brent talked about that a little bit at the very beginning today. Sets them in the garden, releases authority to them and says, here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to multiply what we have together in relationship, what you see in me. I want us to procreate. I want us to multiply this over the earth. What's happening in the garden should become the earth, right? And so in that, in that place, they got a little off, right? It's not something, rocket science is not something we don't know about. It's not something we haven't looked about um, that they got off task right here. But what happens in that, because we hear a lot of times God is in control. And I like to say God is in charge, not in control. He is not sitting up there like you are a puppet on a string maneuvering every move that we make. Right? Here's a perfect example of that. Genesis chapter 3 is a very important thing because it, instead of forcing his power over us, what did he do? Because don't he have the power to force us? Yes or no? If he's God, does he have the power to force you to do something? Yes or no? Yes. And did he? He did what? He laid down that power. So what did he do? In laying down that power, God's not in control. He's in charge, but he is not in control, right? He releases that power by doing what? Laying it down so that we have what? Free will, right? The tree in the garden said, do not touch it. So this gives humanity the free choice or free will, if you will, gives mankind potential to prove its power by doing it gives man the free will to do what show his power right isn't that what's going on here you see that gives him this potential to say i'll do it on my own 
Right? We say all the times it's the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. But religion tells you do, 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 do. You've got to prove yourself. And what's happening in this moment is a proving of themselves. Instead of laying it down, what do they do? This God-giving characteristic of power has been given to them, and now they have a choice to make. He shows them how this power operates by laying it down and giving them free choice. What did they do? Instead of laying it down, their power, so to speak, of wanting to take control, let me show my power. Let me show that I'm like God. I got to prove that I'm like God. Isn't that what we looked at in this whole series of Jesus in the garden? I mean, in the wilderness, what did Satan want him to do? Prove it. If you are the son of God, then prove it, right? That's what's been happening since the very beginning. Can't you see it? It's been happening, right? So by choosing not to eat the fruit, that would become obedience, a laying down of our right. It's a surrender to power. So obedience is not about, if you don't do what I told you to do, I swear I'm going to get you. Right? You hear that? If you don't, I'll bring it to the school. I'll let you hear or in my house this afternoon. Right? It's a coercion. It's a, um, a force of power, so to speak. If you don't do this, I'm about to whoop you. Right? There's a fear-based um, way of saying, I want to have what? Control. Right? One of the things that we have to look at whenever we're watching, doing class observations um, for, it's a new observation that the state implemented three years ago. And one of the things that we're looking at in K2 is, are they using punitive control in their classroom? In other words, are they making those kids feel scared to do what they want? Or have they created a culture where the kids love to do what they want? That's a big difference. It's a huge difference, right? And so in this, by choosing not to eat the fruit, yeah, that would be obedience. But what's actually, what he's asking them to do is lay like me. I created you in my image. Be like me. Lay down your right, your power, right? And believe. So God's commands are not about putting us in our place, which is what we were taught most of our life, right? Isn't that what you were taught? That's what I was taught. It's about putting you in your place. And if you don't do it, you're going to be struck down. That's punitive control. That's fear-based control, right? God is not about fear-based. So what's happening in this is, is God's commands are not putting in our place, but he is lifting us up into his image. That's what we need to see. When we're looking at obedience, the enemy wants us to look at obedience as a task. Who wants you to have a task? God or Satan? Satan. He's all about do, 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 prove, 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 right? This is about resting in his promises, and this is about believing who he really is and who you really are. So by, by doing that and, and obeying God in that would have been lifting them up into his image. But yet, what did they do? The opposite and said, no, I'm going to prove I'm in your image. That's the opposite of God. Jesus says, I don't have to prove it. I am. <laughs> I am. Right? And he is in you. So he releases the power 
by giving us choice and laying it down. And if we do the same, we should become just like him. So let's look at some of these passages to bring this together. Hebrews chapter 12. Some of these passages we've already been looking at. But a lot of times we look at it through the eyes of religion instead of the eyes of grace and what he has intended from us for the very beginning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation on who? Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. What did he do? By obedience. What happened for him to be able to be obedient though? What did he do with his life? He did what? Say it loud. Laid it down. He laid it down. This is the very, from the very beginning, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was with God, right? The Word there that we get for perichoresis in the great circle dance of the give and the flow, the ebb and the flow of one another. It's more than this just this great dance of of. Hey, we're enjoying one another, but it is a releasing and a giving of one another. It's a laying down into perfect submission of one another that I can't do one without the other. What did Jesus do when he was here on the earth? I can't do anything unless I see or hear the Father doing it. Right? And that's what he asked us to do from the very beginning. But what did we do? Instead of laying down so that we'd be raised up, what happened? We wanted to take power, right? Which now proves that we are agreeing with the enemy when we have to prove, okay? So when we're talking about we're going to um, pray over people or to do all these things, it's not about showing, hey, we got it, they don't. It's about what? A laying down. So that Christ be exalted and he and those people are brought up to where they should have been from the very beginning. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? What did he say? To what? Surrender yourselves. Again. We were taught, what does religion say in surrender? And to lay your life down looks like, brother, you got to be a martyr. <laughs> now that may happen. But mostly what he's talking about is not that. He's talking about a surrender, this power, this image we were created in, lay it down so that it is brought up. That's how the kingdom operates. He's been showing us from the very beginning, this is how the kingdom works. But yet, since Genesis 3, you've wanted to take that power and lord it over people. Correct? That's what happens with wars and rumors of wars. What's happening in that? There is no submission. There is no surrender. There is no yielding. It is, that's mine. I'm going to take it. 
That's what Satan was doing in the wilderness that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. He's like, there it is. Just take it. It's yours. And Jesus like, no, that's not what my father does. That's not how his kingdom operates. His kingdom operates by laying down oneself. And then they are exalted and they are given these things. Right? So we image God when we lay our life down. He goes on to say, surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness doing what? Experiencing all that delights in his heart. So we think if we lay it down, we're not going to experience anything. We're thinking that's going to be suffering. That's going to be all these things. It may feel like suffering at first because it depends on the level of how you've been tethered and been holding on to this world. To how much it's going to hurt you. Right? Right? But whenever you release that and come into Christ... What's going to happen? Innumerable joys. Overflowing joys. Life everlasting. An overflow of joy. All that delights his heart for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you do what? Think. How many of you going through a problem right now? How many of you been going through problems since you were born? <laughs> and sometimes, what do you want to do in that situation? It depends, right? If it's a sickness, right? The testimony we heard earlier. We just want them to fix it. Get in there and fix it. And praying that hopefully that these doctors can fix it, right? We want to get in there and we want to get it done. What if it's a relationship? That you've been mad at this person forever. Maybe your spouse. <laughs> they just can't get it together. I've tried that laying down thing. Remember, if you tried that laying down thing, that means you're still doing it. It wasn't a moment. <laughs> it's a lay down of your life. What about Finances. All these things that I just mentioned are just a few, but every one of us are dealing with something, that wilderness mentality that all he's asked us to do is lay down our power to say, let me take it. Right? What do we want to do with those people that we argue with? Alex said, people at work, sometimes he just won't grab Right? We all can say we've been there. Just want to shake that person. <laughs> Can't you see? <laughs> but what are you doing? You got the power to do it. He gave it to you. But what am I doing? My choosing... The kingdom way? Or am I choosing Satan's strategy? And Satan's strategy may give you relief for a moment, but in the end leads to destruction, right? And here for us, it looks like if I lay it down, it shows that I'm what? 
Say it loud, Brent. Weak. Shows I'm weak. Because that's what the, again, what the world says you are. Did they say that about Jesus? Yeah, look at him. He's on the cross. Call your daddy now, boy. And he could have got easily angered. And said, let me show you who my daddy is. I'm tired of y'all. <laughs> but what did he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. And they sure don't know who they are. And he embraces and lays it down. Why? So that love will reign. See, we release his presence when we do that. This rest that we've been talking about or this yielding that we've been talking about is not forcing something to happen, right? A lot of times our prayers look like we're trying to force it to happen. I've got to get as many people on the prayer chain. I've got to get as many people on the internet so that they all can agree and we can hurry up and come to this because obviously God doesn't know there's an urgency to our situation. So the more people we get, the more urgent he will see that we're talking that we need him. And then when it doesn't happen because we went through the urgent take it myself method, then we blame God that he didn't hear us. Or we say it must have been his will. When we never went through his will to begin with. This rest, this yielding is not forcing anything. We refrain from taking to being in him. What did Jesus say in, in John 15? I am the vine. You are the what? The branches. Then he talks about abiding in him, right? Psalm 91. We like to quote Psalm 91 because that is that good passage of protection, right? But he says the one that's made him his dwelling place. What does that mean? That's his abode. That's I'm abiding there. It's not I'm visiting there. It's I am abiding there. And what did Jesus say? I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there you will also be. So that we can discover, right? Where is he living now? Inside. And in your place of dwelling are many inhabitations, many rooms. And he wants to go to all those places with you, right? But yet, all we usually do is just say this simple prayer to say, I get to go to heaven. And then we just sit back and wait and say, I got to wait till I get to go to heaven one day. And then maybe I'll get to see these things he's built for me. He's building them now. They're on the inside of you waiting for you to enjoy this paradise with him. But it takes a laying down of ourselves and a yielding and a surrender to get into that place, in that secret place. Whenever he was telling them when he goes into his secret place and, if, and, and, and the father hears him in his secret place will reward him openly. What is he talking about there? That is a so big symbol of saying, I don't have to have everybody out here to say, hey, look at Brian. Because what is that doing? I'm taking my power to exalt myself. No, he's saying, go into that secret place where it's just me and you. Lay down before me. And in that secret place, oh, I'm about to raise you up to places in heavenly places where you're already seated with me. And in that place, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to whisper these things to you that you thought didn't even exist. 
And then not only am I whispering those things to you, I'm giving you those things so that you get to bring them back here because my desire is for this place to look like that. It's a yielding. We're refraining so that we're able to abide in him. Think about in the garden. What did they do? He told them to refrain from one thing. Right? And in that refraining, in that example of saying, I'm just asking you to lay down what I've already given you. Right? And in that, you're going to experience full joy. How? They had all the other trees in the garden to enjoy. Numerous. For days and days and days upon days. But what did they have to do to experience that? Lay it down. But what did they do? Let me prove it. Let me prove that I am who you say I am. So that everybody around me can show, I can show my power and that I can take all that's mine. We've never been asked to go out and take all that's ours. We've been given everything. It's yours. You didn't do anything to get it. It's already yours. Like he's already done it. You are heirs with Christ Jesus, it said. What does that mean? He's already done it and included you. So everything that is his is already yours. You don't have to prove it to anybody. You just receive. What did we look at last week? At the end of all those temptations, what happened? He set a table before him in the presence of his enemies. What does that mean? In the presence of my enemies, I can feast upon God because it is freely coming to me. All I have to do is just yield and receive it. He didn't have to prove anything to Satan. He didn't have to prove anything. And when he comes up off that mountain, he does this great, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Then we get to Mount of Transfiguration. What happens? The glory is revealed. And what happens as the glory is revealed? What does he do? He comes back down off the mountain and meets people where they are. And he, that's whenever he, the man that has the demon and he casts it out of him. All those reasons and when we lay it down and he exalts us just like he did with Jesus. Jesus is the model for us, right? If he did it as God, Bill Johnson says, I'm impressed. But if he did it as a man, that puts a requirement on me. What does that mean? He's given us the example. What do I do? I have to lay it down. But when I lay it down, what happens? I'm exalted and put by Jesus Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean? I just sit there and do nothing? No. From that place, I rule and reign. When I lay down, I'm lifted up with him. And when I'm laid down and lifted up with him, what did Jesus do in every example that it showed that he was exalted? He came back down to the people and met them where they were so that they would come up with him. That that's what he's asking us to do. That's the life of surrender that we're talking about. In John 1, 1 that I said already, in the beginning was the word, word was with God. That perichoresis is more than just this dance, but it's mutual indwelling. It is consented, given as a gift, and it is received without coercion. Meaning I'm not twisting your arm to do anything. It is a perfect ebb and flow. So if God is love, remember 1 John says God is love. And so if love is consensual from the very beginning of time, love has been consensual. I'm not making you. I'm not going to make you love me, right? It is free will. It's your choice. And this is the great invitation that we've been invited to, right?
This is the great invitation we've been invited to. Look at John chapter 12, what Jesus says about this same thing. John chapter 12, verse 23. He says, He replied to them, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat all because one grain did what? Died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it. How long? How long? Forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I'm going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the father will shower his favor upon your life. What happens with the grain of wheat? Remember, Jesus said in Mark chapter four, with the seed and the sowers, if you don't get this one, you'll never understand the kingdom. What happens to the grain of wheat? The grain of wheat is attached to the head, right? And as long as it's up there, there's about 40 pieces of it up there. But as one goes to the ground, it goes into the soil, right? Now, that seed has the potential to grow and to bear more fruit. Everything that is needed, we've said this before, is in the seed. Remember, we looked at the acorn, right? And the acorn goes into the ground and it comes up. And the big, beautiful oak tree that we see, the live oak, how big it is, the bark, the, the leaves, the whole nine yards, the root system and everything was already the potential where? In that seed. But a seed remains dormant. And what I mean is it can't grow until it's in the right Everything comes together in the right atmosphere. It is fertilized. That seed is fertilized. And what begins to take place, that germination that begins to take place, the outside seed, as that germination takes place, the outside seed dies so the inside can live. What is happening with us? What have we been invited into? This is the great invitation that we've all been invited into. He's the first fruit among many, right? He is the first fruit that said, this is how it goes. Now, let me show you. We're the first fruit among many, so what's happening with us? He has asked us to come into that place where we do what? We die. Why? So that what's inside of us can grow. Who is inside of us in seed form? Jesus Christ. But he can't be released until we lay it down. And when we lay it down, it germinates. Life inception takes place. Boom. And it comes bursting forth. Right? There's tons of things that I could use, but not for the sake of time, as I was studying this, that is so good that it's water first, baptism, that surrounds that sea. Oxygen, the breath of God, <laughs> that hits the inside of that seed and wakes it up. And it germinates, meaning the outside shell dies. What does that mean? There's a transformation take place. What did he say? No longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but renew where? On the inside, your mind. And in that, what's going to happen? That outside shell is going to die, and you're going to begin to grow. The potential, what? Is Jesus Christ everywhere we go. But it can't come out until What? In other words, when you study that, you go study yourself. Go study the agriculture behind the seed. It will remain dormant. Which is, what does that mean? It just remains the seed. 
Now the potential's still there. <laughs> Potential's still there. But it's just going to remain the seed. Until what? The outside shell dies and it germinates and it comes bursting forth. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, set before us. Meaning, we didn't just say, well, that was Jesus. Can't use an excuse. Let his mindset become our motivation. What did he do? He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought of seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. What happened in the garden? They were created in his image, right? What had Satan done prior to this? He did what? I'm taken. I want to be. I want people to worship me just like they do him. I'm going to cease this. I'm going to take this, which is the opposite of God's kingdom. It's the opposite of perichoresis. It's the opposite of the relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus existed in that form of God, just like we were supposed to in the garden. Yet he gave no thought of seizing equality with God, which is the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. They wanted to seize in that moment the equality of saying, yes, I'm like God. Let me prove it. So Jesus came and did what? Turned it all around. Done what we should have done from the very beginning. Why? So that we can experience true life like we were supposed to from the very beginning, right? Seizing quality with God's supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God did what? Exalted him. When did he get exalted? He laid it down. And what happened? God said, now let me raise you up. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied. What did we just look at with the seed? Seed raised up, and it did what? Produced more. He is the first fruit among many. As Jesus come up out of that grave, guess what he did? You were included. To do what? The same process. Why? So that his kingdom expands. Multiplied his greatness and has now, past tense, been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything, everyone will one day submit to this name in where? Heavenly realm, earthly realm, demonic realm. Every tongue will proclaim in every language Jesus Christ is Lord. Yahweh doing what? Bringing what? Glory and honor to God his Father. What was Jesus doing? He laid down so that what? God could get the glory. So that his Father could get the glory. St. Gregory says that the cross is the axis by which the world rotates. It is a decision that people have to make. Am I going to still operate under this old order of Satan? 
It says I have to take it. I have to get what's mine. I have to prove myself. I got to work at it. Or did you just come into a place where you laid that right down so that you could receive the full life of Christ so that Christ may be exalted out of your life and lived through you? You remember me telling you a couple weeks ago that Thanksgiving Day, I called somebody. That was really hard. That's because he's already been taking this, which is seed, and he started putting it in here. But that seed remained dormant until I picked up the phone and called. And now Christ is coming out instead of me. Does that make sense? And we all got situations in this room where we can understand that. Or we want to hold on to what we want to hold on to, right? I have every right to prove. We've never been asked to prove. We've been asked to lay down so that we receive, so that Christ can live and reign in our lives. When he reigns on the inside, guess what happens on the outside? He reigns. This word in Philippians chapter 2, the word there, the Greek word is kenosis. And the word kenosis means self-emptying, which is the perfect display of what we get with perichoresis. They are self-emptying from one to the another. And it's a perfect ebb and flow in that. Guess what? You've been invited into that circle, that great dance of ebb and flow. And in that place is perfect joy, perfect life, and life that overflows. St. Francis said this, that the nativity, that word kenosis, St. Francis says that the nativity that we celebrate at Christmas time is the most kinetic moment. What's he mean by that? What did we just read? What did he do? He didn't, he chose to set aside, right? Like that's the son of God saying, I choose to set that aside. To do what? To come as a man. Why? So that I can embrace humanity on every level. No matter where you are, right? So the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. So he came to show us what this yielding right is. So as Bill Johnson always says, there's always two trees in the garden. Every day of your life and every situation in your life, whether it be a little decision or a big decision, you have two trees in the garden. Which one are you going to choose? Going to rule on by your power or by his? And the one that's going to produce life is his, right? So in the world's pain, in the mourning, in the loss of what we see around the world, we, as Christian people, do not have a God who looks upon all this mourning and this sadness and the death and destruction. We don't have a God that says, oh, I see that. And then turns his head. We do not have a God that's like that. What do we have? We have a God that says, I see it, 
and I'm going to embrace it on every level, and I'm going to become a man and God in flesh. And in the very core, he embraced all the sufferings on the cross. Where all the culmination of all the past, present, future, sin, destruction, death, all the evil, everything did what? Right there on him. So that he embraced it. All of it. Why? So that we might live. So let's go back to the very beginning. What did I ask you? What if we have certain godlike characteristics but do not operate in them until we lay it down? What does that look like for you? What situation are you facing that you think? This is how I do it. <laughs> I get a thousand scenarios in my office every day. From children to teachers to parents to coworkers. And every one of them's got their own opinion of how it needs to be done. But there's only one that looks like Christ every time. And I'm not saying I made every right decision, but I can tell you the atmosphere at my place of work is totally different than it was two years ago. And I'm not saying everybody's on board with what I'm trying to implement there. And this is a lifestyle of this. What does love look like? You see, when people come to me with a complaint, what do they want? They want me to fix their problem, but if they were in their shoes, they would want me to treat this other person a certain way, but if they do something, right? This person over here doing this, this, and this. Why don't you go tell them, da, 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 And so I look at them. I said, okay, so you want me to talk like that to them whenever you're doing this, this, and this? Eyes this big around. That's a simple thing like Jesus said, treat others as you want to be treated. But what's happening in that? Like we get stuck on a rule or a regulation and we think it's like law. Like Brent was talking about earlier, that law is not bringing the glory. When we look at those phrases by Jesus like it's a law or this command, Instead, we've got to look at it from a point of view that says, this is an opportunity so Christ can be exalted. That when I lay this down, he's about to show up. Because I can try in all my ways to make it happen. It's not. It's only going to get worse down the line until I lay it down. And when I lay it down, Christ is exhausted and he shows up. Guess what's happening? He's going to bring perfect peace. He's going to bring it all together. Right? In other words, I'm going to be like 
Paul and I'm fighting against the goads. He's like, why are you going trying to go that hard against that? Remember the pen example we gave last week? Like you're striving and you're trying to do it all on your own. And you're trying to make it happen. And it's tense. If you just let go and let him, it's just all going to flow. It's an ebb and flow of perichoresis where we get to flow in that place. But it only happens in the laying down of ourself. So that Christ be exalted through us, that he may live and rule and reign. So let's just close our eyes for a minute. Let's go to that place. had several people over the last few weeks say as they were listening to the podcast over the month, last month, that they would be in tears going down the road and God's revealing a lot of things to them. How the enemy operates. How they are to rule and reign. But today I pray that this brings a culmination and bringing it all together for you to see that he is in you so that you can reign the same way that Jesus did.